Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. I'm your host, Michael Fragan, here on the Nachum Siegel Network, NachumSiegel.com, and around the world on Israel National News slash radio, Arut Sheva. And thanks for joining us for another Thursday of Political Talk. Happy to have our sponsor, the S4 Group. S4 has a very informative weekly newsletter on politics and policy. I urge you to subscribe, s4grp.com. Scroll down, you'll find it. S4 is a full-service government relations, communications, public relations shop with offices around the country. And what another week it has been in the world of politics. Presidential politics is, well... We have the two front runners in each category, the Republican side, Donald Trump, the Democratic side, Hillary Clinton. And the one thing I will marvel about, it, it seems as if and I don't can't I don't have information going back all the way to time immemorial, but it seems as if these are the two most unpopular politicians ever to run for president. That means they have the highest negatives, the highest unfavorable rating compared when compared to favorables ever to run for president. And it's kind of incredible when you think about it, because this was supposed to be a wide open nomination, particularly on the Republican side, that someone with such high unfavorables is dominating the field and dominating the media and dominating everything. And the rules of politics, the regular rules are not applied. We've said it before. We're going to keep saying it over and over, but only matched by the fact of the success of Hillary Clinton on the Democratic side, who also has some incredibly unfavorable. I mean, she just she's running against, I'll put it this way, an old guy. You know, he's the proverbial uh, grandpa, the the Jew, the Jewish guy, uh, Bernie Sanders. Uh, you know, wonderful, lovable guy, a, a guy from another era, you would have thought, the socialist uh, era of, you know, goes back uh, to my grandparents' generation. And those who embraced the policies of the left, he went to Vermont in hibernation for a couple of years, and now he's dominating many sectors of the Democratic electorate and kind of giving Hillary a run for her money, although it doesn't look because the way the Democratic primaries are, in fact, themselves so undemocratic in the way they apportion delegates, in the way they have superdelegates. So, in fact, it's not really – and we actually saw this in 2008. If you recall, back in 2008, Hillary Clinton got more votes in the popular vote, but Barack Obama got more delegates. Uh, so you can have a situation where the more the, – the winner of the popular vote in the primary does it not, in fact, become the nominee, which, of course, leads itself now to the whole rumble on the Republican side, which is talking about whether Donald Trump can clinch the nomination on the first ballot by not getting the requisite 1,237 delegates. They don't have the superdelegate issue really on the Republican side. I mean, there are some at large delegates, but they're not really the superdelegates in the way they have on the Democrat side. So here to talk about it all, we've got a great show coming up. Uh, old friends, old political hand, a behind-the-scenes guy, if you will, doesn't like the spotlight until uh, until we thrust it upon him. Uh, Robert Chernin is a longtime political activist, bundler, fundraiser, and former conservative radio talk show host, helped found and, pres- and is president of the Electoral Science Institute, a 501c4 that uses behavioral science to drive voter persuasion. And I will tell you, that is pre- precisely on point these days, where the Republicans are, at, the Republican establishment at least, is trying to persuade voters of a, to have a certain point of view, and that is clearly not working. I think $40 million spent in Florida to stop Trump really went 
for naught. Robert Chernin, welcome to Spin Class. Good morning, Michael. Good morning. So up there from your perch in New England, uh, where you had a view of the first of the first primary in the nation in New Hampshire, you have seen the Donald train at really take, uh, you know, just really take off and nobody has been able to catch it or stop it. It's like one of those unstoppable movies or the movie unstoppable itself, uh, to use the analogy with regard to the Republican establishment. He is just steaming through everything they can put at it. Uh, absolutely. Um, and first of all, you know, I'm glad to be on with you this morning. Secondly, I will tell you that in my opinion, Donald Trump is the next president of the United States. I think that he has tapped into a a vein or a, a mood in the American electorate that was missed by all the pundits. I think he is the right person at the right time. Warts and all, he's not a perfect candidate. None of, you know, you and you and I, who are old friends and have you know been in many battles on the same side together, um, understand this very well. But I just think that he embodies where America is right now, and I think he's the perfect antidote to you know four, you know seven years, almost eight years of a hard lurch to the progressive left and Barack Obama. So, Robert, you were a former executive director of Florida Victory 2004. That's the state-level uh, uh, campaign for George W. Bush. Uh, you've also done McCain. You've done right. Bush Cheney in 2000. You've been an establishment Republican. Uh, you're part of the Republican Jewish Coalition. Uh, is it fair to say that you have been until this time a part of the establishment, and now you are a Trumpista. <laughs> I hate labels, Mike. I hate labels, Michael. But but we I will all say do. that I've certainly been an activist for the last twenty five years in Washington, in one one form or another. Uh, I would hate to label myself the establishment. I've always been sort of a um, you know somebody who tries to see things you know fairly clearly. And I'm not even a Trumpista. I mean, I supported Trump. I support him. I did vote for him in the in the primaries in New Hampshire. Uh, after weighing all the candidates, I thought we had a lot of good candidates out there. Um, I love New Hampshire because of its retail belly to belly politics, and you really get to, to spend time with the candidates. You know, uh, for being first in the nation is kind of a cool thing. Um, I just think, as I said earlier, I think I think Donald Trump has been able to cut through the political correctness that has choked off any meaningful conversation about the important issues of the day. I think that he is, and I said warts and all, again, not a perfect candidate, none of them are, but I think that he really embodies the anger. And, and, and he, you know, we did a poll, uh, you know, through Electoral Science Institute. Let me share with you. We did a poll recently and we, uh, for 2,000 people nationally. And we had one of the questions we asked, and these are open-ended questions with no predetermined answer, and we said, who fights for you? And interestingly enough, in all of those answers, First of all, a lot of people said no one's fighting for me. But the only the, the number one name that came up, and it came up twelve times out of two thousand, was Elizabeth Warren. Now, and I will give you that there was really no Republican on that list of answers, believe it or not. And that tells you what I think Trump is embodying: the fact that right or wrong, he's fighting for people, he's cutting through the political correctness. Because you know what happens, Michael. You know the the progressive left, you know, tries to demonize, you know, demonize demagogue and, and divide us and tries to shut down any conversation or debate or dialogue that they don't like. And I think that's where Trump's sweet spot is. But, okay, so let's just talk about, address some of the, I don't want to say warts, because I'm not sure. It, it, to me, it's more of the contradictions 
than self. I mean, I, I'm used to politicians who might be a little bit unpolished and say things that are, and some people like the lack of political correctness, and I get that. But I have trouble understanding, and I, you know, I'll admit this, it's not, it's not that I'm, I'm not confounded by the anger he's tapped into, because I know it's emotional, but let's just talk from a rational point of view. What does Donald Trump exactly stand for, aside from anger at trade deals and anger about a whole bunch of things. I mean, the guy's angry at Japan, and Japan hasn't been an economic power for about 20 years. Well, I think you've got to look at him as a populist, as is now, it's now being talked about in the, in the press, that, that he is not a conservative, he's, he's a populist. And I think that's really what you, where you have to um, go to to really understand a little more about Donald Trump and, and what, what he stands for. He is not ideologically driven even though I think you can pin him down on certain issues that he feels this way or that way on a certain issue. I think what he's really, um, I think, again, what he really embodies is, again, the, the disconnect between the political establishment, both right and left. I mean, think about what you're seeing now, right? You're seeing the Republican establishment that in many, that first made Donald Trump swear a pledge of allegiance, essentially, to support the nominee of the Republican Party. And now when the party is, um, you know, it looks like it may be a, Donald Trump is the nominee. The party is now moving away from the very pledge they had him sign. That type of hypocrisy and, la- and that lack of um, authenticity is, I think, wh- where you're really looking at Donald Trump. And by the way, you brought up Bernie Sanders. I want to make a point here. So, you know, I can make many points, obviously. Yeah, sure. Go ahead. That's it. But, the floor but, is yours. I, and, and, and thank you. And I will tell you that, that um, you know, what how poor of a job have we done in this country educating our youth that the majority of the youth and the millennials are supporting a socialist when in the 1930s Eugene Debs, you know, the head of the Socialist Party, ran for president in jail. You know, um, there's a very interesting article uh, by Jerry Kasparov who's, who said, look, you know, don't sell me socialism. I lived under it in the Soviet Union. And if we forget that, um, it amazes me that, that a socialist has that much traction in the country. But the point on Bernie Sanders is, like Donald Trump, he's authentic. For, for whatever you say about Bernie Sanders, you play a tape of Bernie Sanders 30 years ago, you play a tape of him now, it's the same guy. By the way, it was the same thing with Ronald Reagan. You play the tape of Ronald Reagan at the 64 convention, and in 1980, it's the same guy. So Bernie Sanders, I respect more than I do you know, Hillary Clinton, because he's authentic and he believes what he believes. It's not what I believe. I would never vote for him. But he's authentic. In the same vein, Donald Trump is authentic. But but how so? Let let me jump in here for a second. Because authenticity would be what I would understand if there was veracity as well. I mean, there many of the things that Donald Trump says are just patently false. They can be disproven. In fact, I'm surprised sometimes by the fact that he says things that are so easy to fact check. Agreed. Agreed. And and look, I, I, I agree with you. Look, there is not a lot of decorum to Donald Trump at this point. There is not a lot of, 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 of grace or, or polish, and I, and I hope, because I would like that in my president. I just think the, the issue is the general public or the electorate at large generally says all the politicians lie. There's a lot of braggadocio to what he says, and he's fighting sort of, you know, and you're going through the debates more than anything else, because if you look at him off of the debates, I think there's a, a much more thoughtful, deeper guy than, than sort of that whole combative um, you know, show your swords in the debate, you know, um, uh, tools that are necessary. But you are correct. You know, he does have some issues with, with just, you know, throwing things out there that are not 100% accurate. But again, you know, if you look at the rest of the field, 
tell me he's doing anything different than any of the rest of them do. Well, just to say he's just as bad as everybody else, but he's a little bit better. But I, let's let's uh, we'll leave that for a second. We're talking to Robert Chernin from the Electoral Science Institute, New Hampshire resident, Trump supporter. And let's talk about Israel for a second, because I, I know I, mean, I know I'm concerned and a lot of other people are concerned about Donald Trump's statements with regard to being neutral on Israel and the Palestinians and just his lack of pol- foreign policy experience, his lack of a par- foreign policy team. And I hate to say it, and I'll you know just I'll say it again. I don't care the fact that his daughter converted to Judaism. That is not. If I cared about that, if that was the litmus test, then I would vote for Bernie Sanders because he, in fact, is Jewish. It doesn't matter to me. Uh, what don't you have a concern with regard to Donald Trump? Yes, absolutely, I do. I, look, look it, it, on the issue of, of support for Israel, and uh, no one will be as strong as uh, you know, President Bush was, you know, whom you both, both you and I worked for in 2000 and 2004. And on that issue, no one is as ardent of a supporter of, of Israel and, and, you know, gets it like he did. Um, but when I looked at the alternative, you know, you, when you raise your children, you always teach them that sometimes there aren't two, a good choice and a bad choice, and you have to choose between the lesser of two evils. And if you're going to focus on, on Trump's position in the Middle East, all I can give you is two words, which is Hillary Clinton. We know what, what Hillary Clinton is. We know what she stands for or, lack, or doesn't really in the Middle East. You would never see President Trump embrace Suha Arafat, as you saw Mrs. Clinton do you know, back, in, back in the day. You know she's pro-Palestinian. You know she's anti-Israel. Um, you know, we, don't forget, we're inheriting a situation, Michael, where our longstanding allies internationally no longer trust us and our, and our um, longstanding enemies no longer fear us. That's a really bad formula. So at the end of the day, you have to look, you know, does he have the foreign policy chops? No. Uh, but I think that he is a realist, and I think he's very pragmatic, and I think that if I'm going to take a gamble, I certainly know what I have with, with Hillary Clinton in terms of the Middle East, in terms of foreign uh, policy, in terms of you know, support for the issues that, that I care about. And, and looking you know, at someone like Donald Trump, I feel much more comfortable that he will surround himself with the right people. I mean, look, let, let's be honest. He's going to try to surround himself with, you know, if he's smart, he, he gets somebody like a John Kasich as vice president. He appoints someone like Rudy Giuliani as director of Homeland Security. You start surrounding yourself with people, and it's not going to be, for lack of a better term, you know, the neocons or the Bush people, because I think there's really now a, a necessarily a break in the foreign policy, because as much as I support President Bush, I did then, I do now, you know, all presidents make mistakes, and I think one of the things mistakes we made, uh, although I supported it at the time, was to try to uh, imprint democracy in countries that didn't have, um, you know, the, the culture or the base to really absorb it for it to take roots. So I don't know if I've answered your question, Michael, but I've tried. So, well, I guess the lack. Uh, I I know I can understand that you have confidence in the fact that he's going to appoint the right people. But right now he keeps ask he keeps asking and you know I hate to go ahead and and just talk on point with regard to a moving target like Trump and you know I get that that's part of his charm is that he can't be pinned down but <laughs> but when it comes down to it uh you know we, who are those people I mean I think we all know that advisors matter right compare Bush 41 to Bush 43 you talked about you know the fact that sure. we've both been involved in the in that Republican world for quite some time and right. compare the advisors. I mean, it's all about the people that you surround yourself with. And right now, it's kind of unclear whether he actually has anybody advising him. 
on some of these issues that are incredibly important to us. And it's not just obviously Israel, but Syria and Iran and all, you know, all the issues of the Middle East, uh, Yemen. I mean, there's just there's so many. I mean, this pre- the current president is leaving us with such a foreign policy mess that you kind of begs the I mean, you're, you're kind of begging to have somebody with a steady hand at the at the helm. I, Michael, I agree 100. percent Let me give you two. Let me give you two points in response to that. Thank First you. one is is that Hillary Clinton and you know started uh, by her own admission and John Kerry completed the Iran deal. Um, I have to agree with 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 Trump that the single worst international deal, certainly in my 25 years that I've that I have seen, because I don't think we get anything for the for that deal. I think it frees up assets, 150 billion in assets, and I do think that it 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 now. Uh, Makes it more likely that there will be, you know, a, an existential threat to Israel than, than we could have even imagined, you know, a, a year ago. That's her signature on it. So all I have to do is look at that Iran, Iran deal, and and you, I, I'm a Trump guy. It's real simple. The other thing is, let's let's be honest about it. This is March. This is the primaries. There's no question that that as I think we move through the primaries into July at the convention where I will be, um, and then. Onto the general election, he's got to earn. A, he's got to earn his stripes. I mean, this is you know, you're, you know, I don't know, you know, your listeners are obviously I assume predominantly New York, uh, but I will tell you that you know he's got to earn his stripes there, and he's got to put forward his team. And if he's smart, which I as I as I think he is, and as I hope he is, he will put forward a, a team. Right now, someone asked me why we didn't he put out his you know name his team right now because you and I both you know you and I both being you know somewhat insiders over the years know that number one. Um, no one's going to step forward and make that kind of commitment to be on the team because they don't even know if he's going to be the, the nominee. Number two, his negatives are really high, and he's going to have to address those issues going forward. But this is March. This is not November, not even July. And, yes, I agree with you. He's going to have to do that, and he's going to have to bring aboard you know, different people that can help advise him. But you're still in the, you know, you know this is still, to me, the ectoplasm. <laughs> it's just a- right. So, Robert, last question for you. Yes or no? Are we going to a brokered convention? Or, I'm sorry, an open convention. That's the new phrase. I think you will go to an open convention, and I think Trump will win on the first ballot. Okay, very good. Robert Chernin of the Electoral Science Institute, New Hampshire, uh, New Hampshire resident, Trump supporter, and a longtime Jewish political insider on the Republican side. Thanks for joining us here on Spin Class. We hope to have you again. Michael, anytime. Thanks for having me on. Thanks. Um, and this is Spin Class, and we're sponsored by the S4 Group, and I'm pleased to welcome the CEO of the S4 Group, uh, Yechiel Mark Kalish of Chicago, Illinois, giving us the view as, uh, you know, I don't want to say our listenership is primarily New York and New Jersey. It's all around the world. We're heard in Israel. We're heard uh, everywhere you can listen. So I want to get the view from the Midwest, which just had some big primaries in Illinois and Ohio. And Yechiel Kalish is an expert in Midwest politics, particularly on the Jewish side. Thanks for joining us here on Spin Class. Thank you, Michael. It's great to be on Spin Class. So good morning. And let's talk about you just had an Illinois primary. It was actually pretty exciting on both sides, it seemed. Uh, There was some talk about it's Hillary's home state. There was some talk about whether Sanders could do well in an industrial Rust Belt state. And on the Republican side, you know, it was kind of to see, okay, how well can Kasich do? How well can... Cruz do vis-a-vis Trump, but Trump seemed to have run away with things. Uh, so let's talk about Illinois first. What what did you see? What lessons did you learn from the, to this past Tuesday's primary? It's a great point about Hillary, and this is her home state. You know, uh, we thought that the Hillary numbers were going to be much larger uh, than they were. 
Uh, we thought she would dominate the state. Uh, it seems like uh, Bernie Sanders uh, really uh, uh, did well here, uh, much better than people thought, uh, but not good, not, not good enough to win. And right now uh, there, was a, there was a poll that was recently uh, released that showed that the demographics of the state of Illinois are similar to the demographics of the United States, um, you know, vis-a-vis electoral uh, voting. And uh, so a lot of people were watching Illinois. It was very exciting for us. Uh, it was the first time we were relevant in, uh, in a very long time. Uh, and so the fact that Hillary won uh, Illinois uh, spoke volumes uh, to, uh, to many uh, Democrat superdelegates, um, not just because it was her home state, but because she actually won a, a hard-fought battle here. The, the, the candidates actually showed up. Sure. Uh, in Illinois, which is which is rare. I mean, we haven't had that in, uh, in since Barack Obama ran for president the first time. Um, right. We're hoping so to have that here that, in New York in, uh, in a month from now. Yes, <laughs> oh, it, it could probably still be relevant then. And but what we did see was record numbers of Republicans voting in the state of Illinois. Right. Um, and I, you know, judging from your last guest, this is probably a little bit of a right-leaning uh, talk show. And uh, so it's fascinating. There were probably 300,000 more Republican votes uh, in this presidential primary than in the last two or three presidential primaries. And Illinois is losing people. So uh, it is, it's a fascinating number of Republican votes, which seems to indicate two things, again, from the pundits out here. Uh, one, that Trump is getting people out to vote. And two, that there were many people who had to, in Illinois, you have to choose Democrat or Republican. There many people who probably crossed over um, and chose a Republican ballot to either vote for or against Trump. So right. one of those two things were happening here in Illinois. And, uh, I mean, Kasich basically didn't even show up here. So the fact that he won Ohio just means that he's capable of winning his home state and he knows his people. But, uh, you know, right. There was some talk about the similarities of Ohio and Illinois demographically and economically. And but it just not seems that all. Trump just no, just no. ran away, ran away with it. Um, it yeah. wasn't just, you know, he just won all the places with big population. Ted Cruz won some of the rural areas. But as far as delegates, mm-hmm. um, as far as where it mattered and how to do it, uh, Trump just kind of ran away with it um, just a, by a huge number, by more than 100,000 yeah. votes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was uh, it was not even it was, clo- it was called immediately. You know, the Trump uh, right. the Republican side was called immediately, and uh, we had to wake we had to stay up till the wee hours of the morning to find out that Hillary pulled it out. Yeah, it was right. I mean, it was incredibly close. I think it was uh, twenty five thousand or thirty thousand votes yeah. on the Democratic side. Talk about for a second about two two things. Talk about the Jews. You know how the Jews mm-hmm. went in Illinois, and how did the uh, well? Let's talk about the Jews first. Well, the, the you know the the most probably the most uh, interesting thing about this election uh, from a Jewish perspective is the support that um, Hillary Clinton had uh, within the Jewish community. She is a, a very this is a um, this is a very conservative uh, you know reform uh, type of community here in uh, Chicago, and so the general Jewish community. Um, is very supportive of Hillary Clinton and Rahm Emanuel uh, by extension, uh, which is a fascinating aspect of this election, considering that Hillary was in Chicago for several days, and not once uh, was she seen with the mayor. So, well, you know, he has some issues. Through, 
Right. And they're going through some tough times right now. And the fact that she didn't reach out to him uh, was uh, was a fascinating thing. And uh, the mayor has told the Jewish community that he will be a mayor who is Jewish, but not a Jewish mayor. Uh, so he's also distanced himself a little bit from the Jewish community. So I think Hillary's connecting well with the African-American community and the general Jewish community. And I think within the Orthodox community, you're finding similar feelings, you know, here, as you will, you know, on the East Coast. I think the, there, there's a strong support for Israel, and they feel that a Trump or a Cruz president will be stronger for Israel than a Clinton president. I personally disagree. Um, but that, but from a... From a uh, uh, from a larger communal perspective, I think uh, people had a tough time because they had to choose either a Republican or a Democratic ballot, and many people may have wanted to vote for Trump or for Cruz. I think most people wanted to vote for Cruz, uh, but they couldn't because to have a meaningful vote in the city of Chicago, you really had to choose a Democratic ballot. Oh, that's interesting. Right. Because uh, Right. For those of you out there who are not familiar with the process, and it's not it's not different in every state, but you walk into the polling place and you say, I want that. It doesn't matter what you're registered, what party you're registered for. Correct. You say the ballot that you want, which is always you declare. You know, for New Yorkers. That's a very strange thing. Right. You have to declare. Right. You have to declare. When so let's talk in, about I Ohio a for a second. I, 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 I want to just because, uh, you know, and we got to we got to wrap up the segment, but we're going to hopefully continue this analysis in the coming weeks. Uh, you feel uh, with with yeah. your indulgence uh, is that. Uh, talk about Ohio for a second, because obviously Kasich, you know, proved he could win his home state. Ohio is so critical, as you well know, and you've worked Ohio politically for years, is so critical when it comes to general election. Uh, a, a Republican really cannot win the race without winning Ohio. Um, you know, what does this mean uh, with with regard to you know, Hillary wa- walked away with Ohio and Kasich really right. walked away with Ohio? I mean, it was supposed to be close and it wasn't close at all. Kasich won half the vote in Ohio. Does this does do people look at this and say, "Hey, in a general election, John Kasich is a viable candidate for the Republicans?" I think so. I think I think what Kasich was trying to do. There are a couple of things, you know, and I, you know, we know the Kasich people well, and I've spoken to him, and I've spoken to um, his campaign people. Uh, I was an early supporter, you know, of the of, of the governor, um, saying that uh, of all the people running, he's probably the most capable uh, of the governors to uh, to become president. He's the uh, He's a fascinating individual. He's not a nice individual, but he's a fascinating individual. Um, and uh, he feels right now the Republican convention is in Cleveland. And uh, he feels there's almost a destiny uh, for him to uh, to be the nominee. So that's going to keep him, that feeling of destiny is going to keep him uh, in the race. The fact that he won Ohio, won Ohio makes him a viable vice presidential candidate. Uh, I don't think it makes him a viable presidential candidate, but Kasich doesn't seem to be uh, a vice president type person. Like, doesn't seem like he's the type of guy that wants to run for vice president. So, you know, it'll it'll be interesting. Donald is saying that he can win New York. So if he wins New York, it doesn't matter about Ohio. Right. Um, so that's, uh, that, that's, that, that, that's your interesting balance there. So Donald is going to convince people he can win New York. He might be able to. So you tell me, can Donald win New York? Uh, he can win the Republican primary in New York. Uh, I think it's going to be a very heavy lift for him to win New York against Hillary Clinton. But, you know, he has defied all political expectations. So it's just it's hard to it's hard to <laughs> answer any question well with regard to Donald Trump. Right. I've been wrong so many times at this point. I think we all have. I think we all have. <laughs> so so uh, uh, just, just uh, one, one, yeah, one last so, point before we before we leave. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, yeah. For, for, for people who are following it all, 
Illinois politics, because um, it's fascinating right now. We have a president in the White House uh, who actually made a robocall on behalf of an assembly, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, an assembly challenger uh, to oust an incumbent. Wow. Uh, Barack, o- yes, Barack Obama uh, made a robocall uh, on behalf of a woman by the name of Julia Stratton uh, to defeat an incumbent by the name of Ken Duncan. Uh, who defied the Demo- who defied the Democrats here in the state of Illinois uh, as they are embattled in a bitter fight with Republican Governor Bruce Rauner. And Obama uh, literally came to Springfield uh, to help the local Democrats give Governor Rauner give Governor Rauner a resounding defeat wow. in this election. Wow. So wow, that's a some serious firepower for, for a low-level yeah. race. Uh, Yechil, we got to leave it there. We're going to pick this up uh, in the coming weeks. I really appreciate you being on. And once again, we are sponsored by the S4 Group, S4GRP.com. And scroll down. You'll see the to uh, subscribe to the weekly newsletter. Thanks for joining us here on Spin Class. Stay tuned for Jew of the City Speaks here on the Malcolm Siegel Network. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Michael.